don't know what you think about influencers in our modern society. We may think that they're just a modern phenomenon. Maybe someone from Love Island perhaps has really not done very much. And we see that they're now paid quite a lot of money to tell you or suggest to you to try and influence you about what particular brand of shoe or bag or clothing or vacation that you will be interested in. They want you to see it. They want you to think that it's cool. They want you to buy it. Having been fully influenced. This is a whole industry today. But and I have to break it to you, friends. Sadly, maybe devastatingly for you this morning, these influencers, they don't really care about you. Sad to tell you that, that they only care about themselves. They don't even really care about that shoe or that handbag or that hotel or that brand that they're representing. They just want to influence you. Because if you buy the thing they're promoting, then they will get paid. It's very simple. And if they are good influencers, if they encourage lots of people to buy this thing, then the more they can charge for doing this, for helping out. What a strange situation. Today we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians, the chapter 2. And here we see a number of things going on. We're going to see the Apostle Paul explaining why it is that he came to this city, to Thessalonica. What his message was and what his motives were. And I think he's trying to explain that uh, to us, to why he's there for this whole trip. I think what he's trying to say is, it's not about him. He's not just another influencer in the public square. It's not about him. He cares. His message is a matter of life and death. He's not just doing this for money. And he really doesn't care. I think we'll see this clearly. He really doesn't care what people think. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me read it for us. Just verses 1 to 16. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, you were, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. 
For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers, for you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are there in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So, as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Friends, with everything that is going on in the city since Paul left, as they live their lives there, I think Paul wants the people to remember, and this is our main point, Paul wants the people to remember that God sees everything and so live for his glory. God sees everything, so live for his glory glory. I think this passage shows us today that as ministers of the gospel, each one of us, where we live and where we work, we really need to be aware of three things. These are going to be our three points for today. We need to have the first point, right message, a right message. Number two, we need to have right motives, right motives. Number three, we need to have a right mission. A right mission. We're then going to conclude by looking at a fourth point of what the response in Thessalonica was. We'll see a right response. A right response. As always, we want to look at why Paul was writing and then what we can learn from it. So look with me there at verses one to two. And our first point a right message. A right message. So straight away in verse 1, Paul begins there, look with me, with the word for. This thought that he's just about to share follows on from what has just gone before. Because of what I just said, notably that there are people that heard the gospel, that have turned from their idols to follow God and submit their lives before him, then Paul can now say, what we read in verse 1. He's saying that even though they had to leave quickly, everyone involved in that trip knew that it was worth it because many came to hear the gospel and were saved. Been living beautiful lives of obedience to Jesus Christ. Paul really uses key language here. See that word, brothers? You could easily read it as brothers and sisters the important thing is that it's, it's not just familiar, but it's the language we use with our family. You'll see that all through this whole section this morning, the love that Paul has for these believers in just quite extraordinary ways. He's writing here to encourage them. These guys have been through a lot. They've experienced a lot. Many of them turning uh, from false gods They'd been following other religions. They'd grown up here like those living here in the UAE. 
where a different religion is what's acceptable, that Christianity is radically different to that. If he was writing this letter today, he would be writing to a people that no longer go to the mosque, a people that no longer read or accept the Quran, a people that are no longer welcome at their family celebrations because they've completely turned their backs on their community, those that they grew up with, their families, because they knew that Jesus is the only way to salvation. They have trusted him and turned completely from their former lives. For you here, maybe it was no longer getting drunk on a Friday night with friends. Maybe it was no longer going to confession to speak to a priest at the Catholic Church. Maybe it was no longer believing that you were the answer, that the answer was within yourself, that maybe you could find it on your yoga mat or in deep meditation on your own. Maybe you really believed that you could save yourself. Paul is calling on these brothers and sisters here to remember what they've seen, to remember the visit of Paul and others. Now we don't fully know what Paul is answering, the, the critique of the people in the city that oppose him, or perhaps he's just writing to follow up as to, to why he had to leave so quickly. We see that they were, were chased out. We looked at that last week in Acts 17. They were chased out of town and they'd clearly not been back. This appeal is uh, to their own memory, to the people there. Remember, is to encourage them with what has happened, to look back, see what the Lord has done, and how they have persevered since then. Paul is so clearly encouraged. I think that's clear in chapter 1. And what we're about to see is Paul link his own experience with that of Jesus, one of suffering, one of shame. And he's calling here, saying, remember this. This is the reality, Christian. This is the reality of following Christ. We'll see also how he has loved the reports of what they've done. How they've seen the same things that they need to remember where they were. And how far it is that they've come. But to not lose sight that uh, they know they've not arrived yet. None of us have. If you've been with us for a while, you'll know that none of the members here are perfect. We're our fallen people pursuing and persevering after Christ. As Christians living in this world, we're on an epic journey. One that is long, one that you'll agree is dangerous. Friends, one that we know we can have hope, we can take courage, that we know the outcome is certain. I really love watching movie trailers, a guilty pleasure of mine. They, and I get excited every time I watch one, even though uh, I know what's going to happen in the film. Often you see that with trailers, it really doesn't detract from it. We watch the trailer for Top Gun, and when we watch the film, we already know that the mission is going to be complete at the end of the film. There'll be some spoiler alerts these next 10 seconds, be careful. We already know, even though we've seen the trailer, we know what's going to happen. We know in Harry Potter that he's going to defeat Voldemort. Hate to break it to you, I saw someone reading it this morning. We know that Cinderella will find 
the prince. The shoe does fit. Again, spoiler alerts coming thick and fast this morning. I'm sorry if you haven't seen Cinderella. It's been out for a long time, so could have watched it by now. But we know these, watching these trailers for these movies, they don't ruin the moment when we sit down and watch the film. We watch the characters go through the trials and the hardships. Even though we know that the end is certain and sure. Friends, it's the same for you. It's the same for the Thessalonians. The journey is necessary. It's dangerous. It's difficult. But we know they trust. And so can you that the destination is certain. We know how it ends. Christian, take heart this morning. So for Paul, from the outset, we will, we're going to be looking at this journey and the hardships. We, he wants them to be sure that as believers, they never lose the main point of this message. It's the message that they've heard that God used to bring them to faith. It's what we today must continue to declare to the watching world around us. Look at verse 2. Thessalonica being a place that is common in ancient times where public speakers would just roll into town, into the the center of town, into the town square and try to convince those there of listening of new ideas or new ways to make money or to to sell a product or to give an opinion. Paul's point in verse 2 becomes clear. Paul and Silas were in Philippi and this is where they met Lydia and others that came to faith. Well, it was an It was an angry mob from that city. These two were dragged into the town square, beaten, thrown in jail. This is happening one chapter before we know that they were chased out of Thessalonica. But for what? What were they doing there? Look to Acts 17 last week, Acts 16 this week. They're accused of, it says, disturbing the city. That's exactly what they were doing there in Philippi. That's what Paul is referencing. But how? Well, the same chapter tells us that they were, it says, proclaiming the way of salvation and speaking the word of the Lord. Clearly, it was their message that was causing trouble. Paul is referencing that in verse 2 as it's crucial to what is happening. It's crucial to the validity of their message. These men have proven, both in Philippi and now in Thessalonica, that despite, despite the way they are treated, they have suffered. They have been treated as the one who carries the shame on their people. Paul can say, we had boldness in our God. But to do what? To declare to you the gospel of God. Things are crucial. These are game changers for us. Hopefully you can see here who these men are trusting in and whose message they bring. This is not Paul's great idea or Silas's latest self-help book that they're trying to sell there. These brothers believe so truly in what they are doing that they've taken several beatings. They've been to prison All because they trust God and they know the power and necessity of preaching the gospel. 
Friends, this is the same with nearly all the disciples and many Christians through history. They felt and experienced the cost of following Jesus, the priority of this message from the beginning. Paul is saying is what is important. Friends, we know we can have full assurance this morning that our boldness of the task is in God. That is where we trust. It's his message we bring. Friends, you cannot do this in your own strength. What is it that you're preaching to your classmates? What is the message that you are preaching to those you work with? Is it the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ or is it the strength, the power, the skill of you? Do you want to share the gospel no matter what? How much do you trust God, friends? Paul is preaching, he says, in the midst of much conflict. We see there is just no stopping him. We have to be clear from the outset of the importance of the message we're carrying as we go about our lives here in Ras Al-Khaimah. Paul here is clear for us. There is nothing that can stop the gospel from going forward. Friends, it is the gospel that changes lives. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms entire communities and cities. We must tell people that they are sinners, that they need a savior, that that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation through his death and resurrection. Nothing else can save. If you leave remembering nothing else this morning, remember that, that nothing else can save. Only Jesus Christ. Friends, let that be your prayer this week for Kuzam. Let that be your prayer this week for Nikhil. Friends, let that be your prayer this week for Al Date. That be your prayer this week for Mina. That communities and lives would be transformed and changed forever by the gospel of Jesus Christ going forth. Friends, wherever we go, we must be sure of the message. Be sure of our reasons for bringing that message. That leads us to our second point. Verses 3 to 8, look there with me. Verses 3 to 8, right motives. We need right motives. Think through these two scenarios and answer them honestly. You don't have to be out loud, maybe in your head. When someone meets with you, are they left praising God more or are they left thinking about how great you are? Are they left, when you meet with someone, are they left praising God more or are they left thinking how great you are? It's the first scenario. And the second one, I want to ask you, what is your desire? Do you long for people to praise God more or do you long for people to think more highly of you? Do you long for people to praise God more or do you long for people to think higher of you? These two things are linked, I think, but they're really not the same. In every area of our lives, we 
should be seeking to make little of ourselves and to make much of God. Friends, we should be seeking to make little of ourselves and make much of God every day. This may pain you when you hear this this morning. This time in church, this even your whole life. Everything you do each day, it's not about you. Friends, all of these things are for God. They're all for His glory. I think this is what we're seeing in these verses. This is what we see when we look at Paul and these ministers of the gospel. Their heart is for the glory of God, not their own glory. They long to see God's name lifted high and for their names to be completely forgotten. How true is this of so many gospel workers through the years? We see the fruit years and years, decades after following their ministry, yet their names completely forgotten. Their lives given completely in service of God and all for his glory. It's his name they're lifting high. I think Paul in this section is going to show us Really, both points of view. He's holding them out for us. He's going to show us uh, what he and the other guys are not, on the one hand, so negatively. And then he's going to look at what they are, so positively. He's going to show us a positive and negative view of who they are. Look there at verse 3 with me. See that Paul speaks of the appeal that these brothers have made. How it doesn't have error, impurity. It does not attempt to deceive So this appeal that they're making, it is the comfort that they are bringing as they are declaring in chapter 1 who is Jesus and they've been saying the gospel of God that they have been proclaiming to the people. They've made the message clear. And now they want to just give us clarity on their motives behind it. We know that Paul's an apostle. It's a group of New Testament men with a very specific task of bringing the good news and establishing churches, proclaiming as they went. These special particular type of apostles are only found in the New Testament. Someone cannot be an apostle today. They received this commission directly from the face of Jesus. Of course, they're still Many today who take the gospel to new places, who declare it. Many who establish new churches. They've not been given this specific commission by Jesus Christ face to face. This is different. So we see Paul here carrying a different authority to these men. But Paul is confident that the gospel has been received without error. It's from them. So Paul knows that they, what, the, what the church there have been taught. This is similar here. For example, if you tell me that you're moving to Munich to join with Sasha and Yulia, that I would tell you is a fantastic idea. I would encourage you in that. Sasha knows, having been here, one of the pastors for a number of years, he knows what is being preached here. And so he would be confident of what you had been taught especially if you were here when he was. This is the same for Paul. He's saying the same thing here. I know what you've been taught because I taught it myself. But I also know that it's different to all those other traveling religious men in the city. We're not trying to lie to you. We're 
We're not trying to just get you to give us money for something and then move on to a different place. I don't know about you, but I lived in the US. I went to several traveling fairs that would come into town. If you've been to a small market in the center of a town or you've been to a traveling fair when you're on holiday or vacation, if you're a parent, you know for certain that the prizes and the toys given out at these small things are not going to last. They are cheap. They're pretty bad. They're going to fall apart. They're a trick. If you get a goldfish from a fair, I hate to break it to you, it's probably going to die very soon. Friends, where you receive the message from and the motives behind it, they're important. Paul is saying that this is a message to be trusted. It's not like other messages. And he carries on in verses 4 and 5 to prove why it can be trusted and how it's different. Paul is crystal clear in verse 4 about why they are there and the driving force behind it. This is clear. They've been sent by God. It's God who's approved them and equipped them for this mission. This is all for his glory. Paul is saying that he knows the preaching of gospel, uh, the gospel, of course, is going to be unpopular. He knows the preaching of the gospel is not glamorous. He knows that saying that you preach the gospel does not go down very well at dinner parties. But he knows that they are all doing all of this for one thing, to please God. It is God, as we see in verse 5, that witnesses everything, and all of this is done for him. Friends, can the, the same be said for how you live your life? Do you know and understand that it's only this audience of one, our God, that really matters? I can't see each of your hearts. None of us can here. Only God can see what is happening in there. Only God can see the good and the bad in your heart. Friends, are you seeking to honor God above all things? Perhaps your parents are Muslims. Perhaps your housemates don't know God. Perhaps your work colleagues laugh when you tell them you trust God. Maybe your boss makes it difficult for you to be here and worship with us on a Sunday. Friend, let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. He is worthy. Following him is worth it. Following Jesus is worth the difficulty and the sacrifice and the the hardship of what you are going through. And Paul is reminding us here that no matter what you are doing, fix your eyes on him. Friends, when we fix our eyes on him, everything else falls away into insignificance. I read a book this week about explorers who are seeking to become the first to climb Mount Everest in 1924. And as I read over and over again, as they climbed, as they struggled, as their goal and their gaze was completely clear. There was nothing else in their minds, despite all the risks and the challenges, all the tiredness, the cost, 
Friends, their gaze was fixed, constantly looking up, looking at where they were going. This would be the same for us as we labor, as we seek to honor and obey God in our lives. Let me encourage you, fix your eyes on him. So we see Paul and others here, they're coming with pure motives. They're coming to please God. He says the one who tests their hearts. It's God's message and he equips them to bring it. Paul explains more of what we should not do when we labor for the gospel. Verses 5 and 6. It's also pointing out that we're not doing these things for financial gain or to simply make friends and influence people. These are empty and vain things that ultimately benefit no one. Paul uses this language. Look there at verse 5. He says, as you know. He's appealing again to these brothers and sisters to remember his teaching. To remember the words they use. Sharing the gospel is difficult. And to do it well, I think you'll agree, can be awkward and likely offensive. We know that when we're delivering the gospel, it's for the person's good. We don't want to be just a people that puff up those around us with empty words and encouragements. But that's happily send them on their way to hell, having never told them the gospel. Honestly, in evangelism, I think the longer you leave sharing the gospel with someone, the harder and harder it gets. Sharing the gospel with someone is difficult. I think we can begin to share with people from the outset. We think that if we wait, it'll be less offensive. Friends, as we know, I just don't think... That's true. The gospel is always offensive to a hostile heart. The gospel is always offensive to a hostile heart. Let me encourage you, living here in the UAE, this is a very real opportunity. There's a very real possibility that you will be the first and maybe the only person that has shared the gospel with someone. It's especially true here in the UAE. Don't Delay, friends. Share the gospel with those around you. Look at the end of verse 6. Paul alludes to an interesting point. He's looking at demands and we're just going to look there for a second. He's saying that as apostles, they could have made demands, but they didn't. What does he mean? Here he's reminding the people of a couple of different things and showing us that today how we're to conduct ourselves. He's reminding them that as ministers of the gospel, they should be paid. Paul and the apostles should be paid. We know this from other letters too. We know that Paul was supported by various churches. But here, there in Thessalonica, this young church with new believers, he did not want to be a burden. But he could have made demands. He really could have. And he'd been well within his rights. He's saying that. I think here we just beautifully again see the humility of Paul and the care and the attention that is about to follow. Paul could have done a lot of things. But he's seeking to serve the church. He does not want to make demands and raise expectations. But to remind them of how he did not demand anything from them. Friends, as you serve people, as you minister to them, come in humility. Come in gentleness. 
As Paul continues, we see again more of this family language, two beautiful family images. That not only is he writing to them as brothers and sisters, but he's showing them how much he cares for them. Like a a mother, and we'll also see like a father. Verses 7 and 8. Somewhat shocking and unusual and tell us about how, how Paul felt towards the church there. Certain words jump out to me. Gentle, care, affection, desirous, share, dear. Like a nursing mother feeding and caring for, Paul says, her own children. That is the level of care Paul feels towards them. He cares what they eat. He knows they are vulnerable. He wants to protect them. He wants to guide them. This is what mothers do. Mothers are gentle. They are nurturing. We read a sentence like this and we know exactly what Paul is talking about. This is not something we need to teach mothers. It's a gift from God that he naturally gives to them. They find that out as soon as mothers are pregnant. Mothers can't help it. In amongst all the fear and anxiety, there's a deep and unwavering care that mothers feel. This is how Paul cares about those in his care. It's how we should view those that we minister to. It's how we should want the best for those that we're discipling. Those mini-me's that you have somewhere, whether it's your children, whether it's brothers or sisters that you meet with, you care what they're reading. You care if they're in pain. You help. We guide. You pray. Paul in verse 8 shows us that if we love them so much, if we love people so much, then we should be doing life with them, alongside them. Friends, invite each other into your life. Grab coffee together. Chat while you do the laundry. Share while you walk around our Aswak doing your grocery shopping this week. Pray as you drive to football on a Saturday night or as you swim in the pool together. Friends, be in each other's homes. Share yourself with those around you. That's what happens when people have, as Paul says there, become very dear to us. This is what it looks like. But notice that word become. An important word there. It tells us it's not automatic. It takes time. That level of care comes over time. We're called to take the right message with the right motives. It brings us to our third point as we go out with the right mission. The right mission. Look with me at verses 9 to 12. The main point of this little section there, I think it's just fully in verse 12, that these brothers want to exhort, encourage, and charge the believers there in Thessalonica. But to do what? Walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. As Paul is so clear, this is why they've worked hard, clearly working both day and night, working two jobs, it seems, making tents during the day and then preaching at night. That's how small the budget there was at that church. The church had nothing. Paul didn't want to cause extra hassle, but so cared about these new Christians growing in their knowledge and understanding of God that they're working hard and enduring all 
As we've read all of, in Acts 16 and 17, all of this persecution and risk. Paul again uses the word remember there. No matter what people throw at Paul, it's just not going to stick. Because the believers there, they've seen. They've seen him and his ministry, the way he conducts himself, the gospel he preaches. They've seen it all with their own eyes. What about this walking in a manner worthy of God? Well, I think the answer to this is also in the text. Paul's using more family language this time, like a dad does, to come in and also lay down the law a bit, lay down some instructions for us, both completely necessary, both the love and the care and the nurturing of the mothering language. And now we have the slightly more forceful fatherly language of exhorting and charging the church in Thessalonica to be like Paul and more so like Christ as we see there in verse 10 they need to be it says holy and righteous and blameless and this is what our lives have been like this is what their lives have been like clearly as they are reminded this is what the life of a Christian is what we're meant to live like in the good times and the bad times. Whether we live in safety or whether we live in persecution. Whether you see your life in public or in private. In the classroom or at home. On the football field and off the football field. Friends, is this the case for you? Are you someone different as soon as you walk through the door here on a Sunday morning? Are you someone different as soon as your front door closes behind you and you get to the private of your own house? Here we're seeing Paul clearly, this is what good fathers do, they encourage their children to be themselves in their own strengths and weaknesses, their own skills, those things are going to be different to the brother or sister sitting next to them. Friends, this is what it means to exhort someone, to urge them, to plead with them. Paul has told them how God sees all things, that how is God that tests our hearts. It is God who equips us as we walk in this world, living lives for him and for his glory. Many of us all too aware, if you live here, you have done for a while, that you're not Emirati. We can't be. No matter how hard you try. You are you. You are you from Nigeria or you from the Philippines or wherever you're from this morning. Friend, if you're a Christian, the way that you feel different here in this country is just a tiny glimpse of what it's like to live as a Christian in this world. God has called us to live radically different lives here today as we are citizens of another world. Friend, you are a citizen of another kingdom. This hope is a great encouragement for us. As things here seem so alien and strange, not just in the UAE, but in this world, living as Christians. It's not easy, but live for his glory. Finally, in our fourth and final point, we see the right response there in verses 13 to 16 the right response 
See how the right response, I think, is to trust the word of God, to live in obedience to it. Trust the word of God and live in obedience to it. Right from the start of this section, we see what you think about the Bible is hugely significant. Friends, what about you? What do you say about the Bible? Do you trust the Bible? Do you think it's the word of God? Perhaps you think it contains errors. Perhaps you think it's just a strange book of stories. The Thessalonians here, they knew and accepted the Bible was the word of God. And they also knew and accepted, as we do here today, that Paul's teaching was the word of God. Friends, what we do here together and what the pastors here spend all week preparing is of real life-changing importance because God has given us his word. We get to open it and study it together. That is truly remarkable that we have God's word translated in our hands, translated in your language. The word of God is his speaking to us today, his living and active word. It's the word of God that is at work in you, that is years after year, seeing more and more people turn from their old lives, their idols and false gods that they once worshipped, and turning to the true and living God. The Thessalonians, they've seen that happen here with their own eyes. We too have seen the same thing this year. So encouraging to see brothers and sisters turning from their old lives and following him, turning to God, coming to him in faith. Paul thanks God for the same thing here. It really is a great joy of uh, my work, of what I get the privilege of doing week in and week out, that is meeting uh, with you guys as church members or as visitors, and then also taking membership interviews as people seek to join the church. I get to hear testimony after testimony of what the Lord has done in people's lives. And that is so encouraging. None of those are the same. They're all different. It's all different what the Lord has done in your life. Who shared the gospel with you that first time, that church that you grew up in, whether perfect or imperfect, and the person you are today and what the Lord has done through you. That is so encouraging to me. It's a great reminder here of what God has done in people's lives. Many of you have done what we see in verse 14. You've picked up your cross and you've followed Jesus. You live on campus, in the dorms, and it's hard to obey Christ. You leave behind family and friends to move, to minister and work and obey God in the Middle East. And you obey Christ. You've been persecuted by family and friends for your faith, unable to return home or to a family celebration. And you obey Christ. Friends, this is remarkable. And we see it here. This is the life of a Christian. To live in obedience to Christ means turning completely from this world. And the world will not applaud you for it. The world will not thank you for it. The world will not celebrate you when you turn away from it and you follow Christ. But the result 
We see it in verses 15 and 16 is that God will finally pour out his wrath on this world. His perfect justice will be clear. Thessalonica was the Gentile people and also the Jews that led the persecution against the earthly, the early church. Paul knew this. This had been his job. He was the very best at this. Yet here he is calling out the Jews for hindering God's message going forth. This is why it was such a big deal. Why Paul is so strong about it. Friends, this is a warning to oppose God, to oppose his Messiah is to rebel against him. If you rebel against Jesus, if you deny who Jesus is, the outcome is certain. This is why Paul ends this section in the present tense. He says, wrath has come upon them, has come present upon them at last. The outcome is so sure on those Jews that deny Jesus, along with everyone else in the city that does the same, Paul here says the wrath is on them right now. God is so clear, friends. This is a great warning to us, perhaps to you here this morning, if you don't follow Jesus. God brings justice in the end, and all people, all people will stand before God. This is completely sure. Paul here is announcing judgment, but he's also reminding us of God's grace. If you trust and follow Christ, then on the final day, we know that God will look at you, look on you and your situation and see Christ. As Jesus' blood has been poured out as a perfect offering for you. His sacrifice means that he has already taken the punishment that you deserve and his perfect righteousness now completely covers him covers you you are hidden in him it's because of jesus blood his perfect righteousness now completely covers you if you're here this morning there are only two options on judgment day you're either hidden in christ or exposed in your sin You're either hidden in Christ or exposed in your sin. Christian, let me encourage you. Persevere in the faith. Endure all that God has prepared for you in this life. It's all for his glory, for his honor, and he sees it all. Live for an audience of one. Fix your eyes on him, friends. Worry not what the world will say about you, but imitate Christ. Remember the gospel and the grace of God. Consider your heart and orientate everything in your life to him. Cling to him, run to him, seek his pleasure in all things. 